This is a new era brought to you by Hennessy. Hello and welcome. I'm Hannah O'Connell and you're listening to A New Era, a podcast brought to you by Hennessy. For decades, Hennessy has been synonymous with hip-hop culture, from its affiliation with heavyweight brand ambassadors like Nas, Erica Badu and recently ASAP Ferg, to being name-checked in countless tracks from Tupac to Drake. But now with the hip-hop scene in Ireland stronger than ever and growing, we think it's time to bring it home and see what's going on in the changing musical landscape of Ireland's new era. And I am joined in the studio once again by the fabulous DJ Sally Cinnamon. How's it going? It's great to be back. Thanks, love, for having Thanks, me. Thanks, um, So we had a chat on episode three, basically about you and your career, but we didn't really get to touch on the Hennessy Sound Lounge that was down at Body and Soul and all of the fabulous interviews that you curated down there over the weekend. So I decided that you should come back and fill us in on everyone that you chatted to. There's a lot of stuff said at me. I found it really interesting, the similarities and the differences there was a lot in there that stayed at me, you know. I suppose start off by telling me who the different acts you chatted to over the weekend were and maybe some of the highlights that you had. The standout ones for me, well, Richie was great. Um, it was daft and he, it was just like mad crack. And I sat listening to the Stano one, which was really gorgeous and really, really moving. And staying with Stano for a minute, for those who may not be familiar with who he is, could you give me a little bit of an introduction to who he is as an artist? Um, punk legend, very much an underground Irish punk who is kind of a poet, an artist, and he's worked with loads of different people on unusual projects. But he was really focused on just originality. Like one thing Stano said was, you know, be yourself and be original. And when he told a couple of stories as to how he got to that point or how that became such a pivotal thing for him to latch on to. And uh, it was his drive. And like he recorded music in the strangest ways and what he considered music and noise and it was really really mad like nothing else we have a little clip that we're going to play now of the conversation with stano at the hennessy sound lounge at body and soul he's chatting here about how he creates his music and some of the interesting stories he's had along the way in his career thank you so much stano for joining us um you are a legend in the game i hate using that word legend but it sort of seems to symbolize work energy over 20, 35 years making music. And I wanted to start talking about your style of making music because it began with recording sound. It began with a cassette machine. It it sits in that format. And what made you turn that cassette machine into an instrument? Well, I was 15 years of age and I had two tape recorders and I didn't know what to do with them. So I taped myself going to the shops and um, tape stuff off the television. And I started just making collages, putting them together. And then uh, punk rock happened. Um, I got interested in sort of the production end of stuff. I was hanging around with a band, and I used to sit outside the rehearsal room and record them. And I'd go back the next day and i say, I like to look at that bit of guitar there, look at that bit of drums. And I didn't realize earlier on I was becoming an arranger and a producer, so that's how it happened. And you, and you seem to work in a collage-style fashion. You pick moments to build a much bigger picture. And so I see your work as being sonic in that sense. You're building a picture or a painting of sound. So when it came to your first album, what, were you trying, what was the story you were trying to tell there? Well, when I did my first album, I was just... I walked around Dublin looking at different bands and picking different musicians and just went into the studio and laid down basic tracks with a drum machine. And anybody I liked or I thought was interesting, 
I'd bring them in the studio and I'd just get them to respond to their tracks. And then it was a layering process and then the tracks would appear out of that. That's, that's how I work. Okay, sorry to get technical here, but what drum machine were you playing with in the 80s? It was the 808. Oh, um, the Roland 808. It was, I didn't realize till a few years ago, I was the first person in Ireland to use the 808. So that's how that happened. I recently found out that the Sexual Healing album, all the drum, all the 808 programming was done by Marvin Gaye. And I had no mm -hmm. idea. And how did you, can we get techie? Can we talk about that machine? Do you still have it? Do you... Well, what happened was that when I was recording, we had a little rhythm box. And the studio owner, Terry Cromer, he came in with an 808. And then we didn't know how to program it. So that's why people talk about my first album. The rhythms are very strange. And as they were programming it and we were running to tape, I was adjusting all the buttons. And it sort of gave an Indian tablet feel of it. So, you know, I process a lot of stuff. So every guitar line, every keyboard, I reamp into different rooms. And so that's what I continue on doing today. So really, you're experimentalist. You, you're free to engage with every instrument, every sound, everything you record and build with that. Um, how do you feel so comfortable doing that? Most people can't even, most musicians can't live like that. They have to have structure. Well, because I came from punk and there was no rules and I've carried that through to the music. So like when I'm in the studio, I just let things happen and I'm working with a particular musician. Sometimes you're there for 10 minutes and nothing is happening. And then they play a certain riff or a chord and I hone in on that and then that's the direction I go. Absolutely. Is punk a music or a culture? Or was punk a music or a culture for you? For me it was, yeah, well, well as a culture, I, I got into it and what I took from punk was be yourself and be original. And um, a lot of stuff that I liked, like the Damned and the Pistols, and then public image, you know, they were taken from reggae, they were, you know, like a lot of, um, you know, reggae music was incorporated into punk as well. So I lived in Birmingham when I was a teenager in 1978. So um, I used to go to all the reggae gigs and go to the punk gigs. So I didn't really see a difference between music and I've, to this day, I can listen to, you know, folk music, classical music experimental music, it doesn't really matter. And, and these lyrics, so let's go through these lyrics. Like, you're 15 years old. I'm in a field now and my eyes meet you when you were in death and you didn't speak. You didn't need to because I knew that life was a field and that field had no heart. What's going on? Stand up. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think when you're 15 years of age, you don't know what's going on, so. It, mate, um, it's raw though, it's yeah. raw. You were honest, you were honest about how you felt and you were honest about you expressing that. Well, when I was a kid, I was writing since I was 10 or 11 years of age. So I didn't really know. I was just gathering on lines and information. And as I said, the catalyst for the whole thing together was punk. Like when I was 16 years of age, I heard the damn New Rose and that opened the doors for me. And before I started to hear the music, the attitude was be yourself and be original. Yeah. And I literally took that and yeah. carried that through to this day. Absolutely, and I think what you've discovered, what I, you know, I was checking out your music on Discogs because I was hoping to pick up a vinyl, and I think the original press is like 200, 300 euros, and I was like, Jesus, it's one of those artists, and I can see why. You, you were free, and you expressed yourself, and you used the instrumentations of your time. It's a beautiful thing to hear that. Well, the, the track that you heard, The Dead Rose, there's a guy called Michael O'Shea, and he 
his album has been re-released, so the only recordings is his album and the two tracks of my album. And just to explain, I was um, walking up Grafton Street one day, and I heard this beautiful music drifting on the wind, and I followed it till I seen Michael in the doorway. Now Michael, this was 1982, he was dressed like a Hare Krishna, robes, and in Dublin at that time, you know, it wasn't a thing to do. But the instrument is a wooden door with strings across it. And he plays the instrument with paintbrushes, bouncing them on the strings. So I waited till he was finished and went up to him and said, look, your music is amazing. You know, I'm recording an album when you come into the studio. So I met him the following week. He came into the studio. He was there for two hours and went. But he had another instrument called Mokara, which was a wooden box with springs inside and broken glass and, and an African tomb base on top. And every time you played it, it had its own natural reverb. So I was completely fascinated by him. But the interesting thing happened was that um, the only album exists is on um, the English group Wire. They, one of the guys, Gilbert Lewis, he was coming off a train and he heard music in the underground and he followed it. And it was Michael O'Shea. So we'd done exactly the same thing a year apart. And so it's really strange how music, um, you know, you follow your heart, you, 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 you just see what happens, really. Yeah, but this isn't just music, is it? You seem to be sort of experiencing a, a world of, of, of sound. You know, a door with three strings strung it, across it, played with a paintbrush. Is that even music? Well, I, I can make music out of anything, really. I've made music from a creaking door. I've, um, you know, the first album is a blueprint for even what I'm doing now, slow things down, play things backwards. Um, and one of the reasons, gradually, as I, as I went through being a musician, by, I got, by the time I got to my fourth album, I had a band, but I realized very quickly I couldn't work in a band because I was in a recording studio and the band used to go mad at me because I'd write a set of lyrics, we'd have a verse, of chorus, and I'd say to the engineer, can I hear the track backwards? And I'd go, Jesus, that's amazing. And they go, you can't, you can't use that, you know, like, you, know, you don't understand your lyrics anymore. But it doesn't matter, it's, yeah. it's, it's the impact of the music on me, so that way I'm open all the time. Absolutely. What, what fascinates me is that your experimentation in the 80s is pop music in the noughties. So 40 years later, the universe has come around to your way of thinking. So where are you at now? What's the new? Show us the future. Well, I have another side project um, called In Between Silence. And that came about, I was in the studio with a friend of mine, John Duffy. He passed away from cancer. And... Basically what happened is a week previously, I was in the studio with a guy called Brian Pam. And in between having a break, he, he said to me, um, me and my wife were traveling across America and we were on Route 66 and we stopped off at this Indian re reservation. So I said to him, don't tell me the rest of the story. So I opened up this random track, which was working with a Dutch guitar player on these strange tunings. And something happened in the studio that day. It was just magic. It was almost like a film tr soundtrack and an image in your head with the story without a film. So my wife, Denise, she um, works in DIT teaching film and I played it to her. And what happened then, a week later, my friend, John Duffy, who had cancer, um, I went up to see him the week before he died and it was really, really difficult. And 
you said to me, look, Stano, the biggest regret I ever had, I was never in a recording studio with you. And he said to me, he was always saying to me, I have poetry. And I never recorded the poetry. And just off the top of my head, I said, listen, John, I'm doing a spoken word album, which I wasn't. Come in the studio. So he came in two days later. He was very weak, but he had these end-of-life stories that he wrote for his kids and his wife. And it was probably the worst day in the studio and the best day. It was so powerful. It's really what music is about. And cutting back to that, out of that developed in between silence. So you go to a cinema or a theater, you sit in the dark, and an image comes up, and then the theater goes dark, and you listen to the stories and the music. So we were in New York, and I ran for two weeks in New York um, about three years ago. And at the end of the gig, this woman came up to me and said to me, um, can I meet you tomorrow? I'm going to have a talk with you. And then the theater director came up and said, do you know who she is? And I said, no. And she said, she's the Poet Laureate in New York. So the next day, we're in her apartment, looking out at the Empire State Building. And she said to me, look, will you play me one of John's tracks, you know? And she, I played one of John's poems, and she burst out crying. And I thought, you know, I wish John was alive. Okay, that was super interesting. Yeah, he's gorgeous, uh, warm, very gentle. Not what you consider a punk, do you know? But as in, that's, that's what was so interesting about it, is that it's people's concept of what a punk is, essentially. It's just somebody going against the grain and um, refusing to conform. And he's one of those lads who throws the, the rule book out the window, you know, when it comes to doing things his way and doing things originally. And um, He's made a work for himself, though, considering he's not necessarily... Yeah, and he didn't strike me as somebody ever driven by money in any way whatsoever. He just had to do this and do it his way. Is it a braveness, do you think? Oh, totally. It's, it's, you have to just be brave. I reckon that was what one, one of the other kind of running themes was throughout the weekend. And like we spoke about in the last episode, is that you've just got to be brave and take chances and just say, no, we're, we're doing it, we're doing it this way. And it might be one of the contributors to the, the development of urban music and hip hop. I remember the scary era days, but I also remember lots of stuff in between that I found quite cringy. And now we really, I just... I'm not scarlet for anybody. I'm delighted for them all. <laughs> Do you know? When I hear the likes of Mango Matman and Kojak and especially those boys who, like, if you listen to um, um, Eviction Notice, just the heart and soul and that, the vulnerability of it and boys who, like, and they're called, you know, the soft boy lads who talk about just not being hard men, not being, not being um, tough to, to, it takes a lot of bravery to really, to be vulnerable. Yeah, and, and I think especially when, uh, like with Irish hip-hop and rap, the genre is so new. So when you're coming out, maybe not so much now, but like even three or four years ago when you were coming out with music, you could be the first person from your area, you could be the first person that your friends know that have heard rap in a Dublin accent, and I think there's definitely an element of braveness needed to absolutely. do that. Absolutely, and it's definitely, it is a new era. Like, you know, it's totally a new era. Um it's not focused on listing off things that you can afford and what your best merits are, which was always very much a hip hop thing, you know, the the, the culture because of Irish Because that is hip-hop. what would be cringy if we tried to adapt yeah. American hip hop or UK grime That's and make it, it our cringy own. That's what cringy was that it was mimicking. It wasn't being original and it wasn't being brave. Yeah. It was just mimicking something and that always shows up with people. It always comes out if you're being a phony and I think there's something really original and really brave 
and really, really particular about uh, the new sound and new era in, in Ireland. That's what's most exciting about it, you know? Well, it kind of comes back to the Irish hip hop thing. I, I think people have so much respect for the genre now because it has integrity. Yeah. And that's because people are being really true to their own stories and there's no kind of bravado for the sake of what the wider genre may be perceived to be. People are a lot more conscious of their emotional capacity and their ability to share and yeah, that's a really be cool kind. Point. And they're very much driven by that. Um, it's not as angry anymore. There's not as much resistance and anger. Um, resisting hatred, I suppose. But like, I think people like Damien Dempsey, who's this big macho boxer lad who sings his heart. He means the shit out of everything he's saying. Like you could not get a more integral Irish artist. No, and then you go to Vicar Street at Christmas and Christmas, everyone is crying gig, with him. Like I, I've, I brought friends who just didn't consider themselves fans to that Christmas show. Um, I know he'd probably be, like, he would definitely have influenced the likes of Mango and Kojak lads and Absolutely. younger like, lads who have grown up going, you don't actually have to be tough and be cruel. And you he can be kind and be come, helpful. Yeah, to come back to the hip-hop thing as well, like, I've spoken and interviewed him in the past and he, not in a braggy way, but he does kind of say he's one of the first people to have rapped loosely in a Dublin accent and yeah. in an Irish accent so he definitely paved the way absolutely um, yeah. for art just like that and I suppose and singing in your own accent is the most authentic thing you could be it's the most it's the way you can say truest to yourself um, absolutely yeah and another thing that really struck me um, especially talking to the Fish Go Deep lads and it would obviously resonate more with me as a DJ um, when I kind of press them a little bit on playing classics as opposed to always going forward and always wanting a brand new thing and their drive completely is they're totally focused on finding the new music and keeping going, keep it, keep it, keep it really progressive and that's that's what their originality that's is. That's really interesting considering they're, you know, good few years into their career and stuff. And they that. could and they could totally do nights playing all the classics and, and it, you unpack know, a room. But they're Everyone really relies on them and admires them for that that new and the discoverability fresh. of going to a fish go deep set then. Absolutely, and that's that's how what keeps them going, and that's what their originality is, you know. Yeah, well, I actually think we have a clip of you talking to the lads on oh, yeah. stage, Dana Body and Soul. So yeah. let's have a little listen. That was my first one, and it was it was so much crack. They're such lovely dudes. We always try to play the you know the freshest music we can find we we wouldn't or didn't want to become uh, prisoners of the past you know and i can see it with some djs and they can get stuck in you know back there somewhere yeah. and that's no good you must be searching all the time it's kind of yeah. a relentless thing if you're a dj what, ab what about like absolute stone cold classics you know the ones uh, that you kind of want you feel that it's ready to be uh, well, reintroduced you, you know you, you still you, you play a few but most of our sets are like really Silicon as modern as it can edge. be, like you know. Yeah. And we'll always intersperse it with something that we will feel is relevant, you know. Yeah. And that's the joy of having DJ'd for this long. You have all that knowledge that you can pull out something from back then and play it, you know. Yeah, because otherwise if it's not an absolute joy, it's it's a slog. Keeping on top of things, like hearing the newest thing, buying the newest thing. It, it's hard work. It does require but, but, but time it's, and It's effort. not hard work. It's a joy. You're no, just waiting. Saying, You're if waiting. If it wasn't for... a joy, it would absolutely oh, yeah, totally. be a massive I, I, job. I know? think actually focusing on new music keeps it fresh, keeps it exciting for, for us as well, which hopefully translates when, when you play. Um, okay, I suppose stepping away from dance music and hip-hop for a little second, you also talked to Saint Sister Dan 
app audience though and I'm really interested to hear what they had to say down there and what you guys were chatting about. They're really lovely warm girls and uh, we spoke a lot about being girls. It's really hard to imagine they're only friends for years that kind of struck me. It's mad isn't it? Because they're, they're totally like sisters and they're really yin and yangy and they keep each other going in the best ways um, so we spoke a lot about partnerships and trust and and that kind of thing and um, I love what they're doing. I love that they're they have a traditional sound, making it totally their own, and it appeals to people of their own age group. Um, that's their edge. That's what they're doing really well. And it well. works because they weren't around that long, considering the fact they've just met each other. They just started to make music and they were getting booked for these massive gigs straight away. Yeah. So there was obviously an appetite for this kind of new take on what could be considered traditional Irish sounding music that they're yeah. putting out. Yeah, and they're surprised themselves at that, at how quickly that came about and how immediate the response to it was. Um, they're very, very humble and they're very genuine. And yeah, we spoke a lot about their collaborations and playing with Lisa Hannigan and meeting Lisa. Um, we we spoke a little bit about that and just how lovely and warm she is and how easy things can be when everyone's open and what your impressions of people might be and how easy things are and I think Ireland's an amazing place for that I think you don't see it anywhere else like Ireland and Dublin if you're in a small scene and you're doing anything outside of the of the box you get to know each other really well and I think the the um, the scene is really friendly and really really encouraging at the minute and that definitely like transcends genres as well because so many of the people that were down on the Hennessy Soundline stage over the weekend know each other regardless yeah. of whether they're everyone rapping. knew each other and are friends and are really supportive of each other's music and each other's work I never really knew a time where there was not as much of an age gap and a cultural gap like there is and it's kind of completely merged you that's know that's pretty cool yeah it's really great they're all everyone's pals and really lovely to each other and yeah that's I mean it sounds really soppy now but like that's it's quite striking yeah definitely uh, it's no, quite unique to this country as well it's not there's no rivalry I don't really see any really resentful or competitive mm. it's all just everyone's really excited for each other People and excited about what's going on well. you know okay well let's have a little listen to your chat with Saint Sister down at Body and Soul this weekend what we kind of found in each other was we both do like what the other person doesn't really do. Right, okay. So, that's like, always an amazing balance, isn't yeah. it, with the, with the partnership? That's it. And, and I don't know if we... Well, yeah, we probably knew that um, before we really met up. But, um, like, your background would be songwriting, singing. Um, and then I was coming at it from more... Like, I was trying to get into more arrangement, composition, that kind of world. Uh, whereas I wasn't really writing songs. Um, so that's kind of where we joined up, I guess, and found each other. And, and I, I, our singing-wise, our voices are very different as well. So I remember when you first got in touch, I was like, yeah, this could be cool, but I feel like our voices definitely won't work together because they're quite, uh, like, on their own, they're, they're, they're quite different. But when we brought those together, um, yeah, we just kind of, it, it felt it felt Start nice. feeding it, into one sort of different sound, yeah. trying to accommodate the others. Just, like, or, made something different. Yeah, yeah, in some way. Yeah. Was it always a thing, do you think? Was music always a very obvious thing that both of you wanted? Like, was the moving to Dublin, was yeah. it kind of for the same thing? I think so. Like, I uh, came to Dublin to study music, and I, these things are never what you think they're going to be. So yeah. had a completely different experience than what I was expecting. I thought it would be, 
I thought I would like I was always um, more in the sort of traditional music world at home but then I came to study at Trinity so I don't know what I was expecting <laughs> yeah <laughs> like uh, and then yeah ended up kind of went into more like the composition land through that but I think that's that's all I ever really focused on so it did you think you had a, you were you're very much a blank canvas then at that stage or do you really yeah. feel like trad is a, is a really good setting for just the, the discipline it requires and the I think pace and stuff that it's still very influential when you become a creator of music. It's very influential just in the way that like things just run through you because you've known yeah. them and played them your whole life. But I never really um, settled on like one discipline. You know, like, I've yeah. played, like I never had the discipline to be a classical player or really a trad player. I was always like somewhere in between them all. Right, okay. Which is why it, I guess it makes sense to be partnering up with someone and, and just making stuff of your own because I could never really um like narrow it in. Yeah. How about you, Morgan? What was the... I mean, had you, how long had you been um, training with your instruments? Um, well, I, I'm a very bad player, but I've been singing for a long, long time. And I think the thing that got really, um, me really into music was songs. I'm just obsessed with songs and lyrics. And I remember um, before you could look them up, just like, playing like a sentence, pausing, writing it out and then playing and just going back and obsessing over them and like writing them all over my walls. And I just was so, people used to give me birthday cards with lyrics in them so I could put them up. Like it was my thing that I was really into. And that's, I guess, um, a big reason why I was looking for a partner um, to make music with was that I was so focused in on that kind of element of music. And my way into it is songwriting as opposed to, I'm not like a, I don't know really how to play any instruments very well. I can kind of get away with it on stage, but mostly because Gemma. Get away with it on stage. No, but Ge Gemma, but everything I play, Mercury nominee or a choice nominee last year. <laughs> kind of get away with it. Uh, well, yeah, but only because I'm partnered up with Gemma, which is um, yeah. I think it was very clever of me to realize early on, like I needed someone and to sneaky, sneaky, yeah, I yeah, sneaky, a little bit sneaky. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's call this what it is. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I basically was like, I need somebody to help me do this. And Gemma came into my, um, we met each other, at an or we were singing in the orchestra together. And I loved, it's Trinity Orchestra, yeah. yeah. And I loved her voice straight away. As soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, there's the competition. <laughs> and, um, the, Make her mind, yeah. friends close, enemies closer. Yeah, exactly. Sneaky again. Sneaky yeah. again. The sneakiness it's a recurring trait. <laughs> Sneaky Morgan. Um, and then, yeah, we just, we met up for coffee. And I don't really know what I was asking you. I just kind of had an instinct that we needed each other. Maybe that's why I saw your weakness. Panicking as well. It was like the one sister, one dog thing, yeah. wasn't it? You just, yeah. that was it. That was the clincher. <laughs> yes, oh my God. we're in. We're meant to be sisters. Okay, really interesting snippet from your conversation with Saint Sister down at so the Hennessy Sound Lounge at Body and Soul. So just to sum it up, like we've talked about so many diverse artists that are all striving at the moment in a time where you are seeing a lot of creatives leave Ireland, but a lot of people are making it work, and you as well. Like we spoke last week about your career, you're nearly 15 years, more, more than 15 years? 17, stage, yeah. 17 years DJing full-time. So what do you think are the contributing factors to making it work as a full-time artist in Ireland at the moment? Well, it's extremely hard, and anyone that's been making music in Ireland, like David Kidd, um, people who may have made, have been successful years ago and are being more creative and um, making more music than they've ever made, 
making less money. Um, that's got to be really, really frustrating and really hard. And it's it's unfortunate that um, artists get paid way less than they used to. So it's it's much it's a much harder time to be trying to to do anything in Ireland, especially with rent and everything else being so insanely expensive. And it's an, it's an expensive city to to live in, but it's also a really good city to be part of, I think. And I think it's it's encouraging in all the right ways. Um, and I think the likes of, you know, like you, I think for me when I wanted to get into radio years ago was that I thought, you know, I'd have to make tea at a radio station for years before I could be allowed near. And then, you know, you just start making podcasts and you just find, you know, technology is way better and you can afford gear and have access to stuff that can allow you to make music, make podcasts, um, whatever that is. And Do I you think, think the internet and social media is a positive time. factor? Yeah, really, really. It, it connects us all without us even really thinking about it, I think, with social media. I don't even think, when you stop to think about how how much of a contributor that is, how easy it is to share music, uh, share videos, make videos yourself. You know, we don't need that permission anymore. We don't need someone to say, this is how you do it and this is the way we're going to do it. People are just doing it their own way. So I think it's a mixture of people feeling freer, um, maybe, and more encouraged. And in return, we're getting really brave artists and really creative music. Yeah, I think sound. so. I think there's... That has to be there has to be a link there, you know. So we both agree that the Irish music scene is in a really great place, despite a number of things that could have gone up against that not happening, such as maybe funding and clubs closing down and venues and stuff like that. What do you think we need in this country to keep the scene continuing to go in a really healthy direction? We need for things to change. I think Dublin needs to become somewhere that's viable. To live in and work in, people need artists. Artists need studios. They need creative spaces, and we're kind of a lot of people are just forced to to work to try and fund their creativity. You know, like even even people as successful as Mango Mappen where they are, like they still have to work. And you know, there's no yeah. one make really making money in Ireland anymore. Unfortunately, and people may and, in real, uh, people might not realize enough, that. Like, but when you see you know, someone on stage and they're playing, we do need brands like Hennessy to come on board, like not to be too sick of Andish, but that's that's the truth. Like, like thank God that Hennessy actually gave us that space and that opportunity and the trust that um, to give us that freedom to do that. But like, we need you need to get paid. So there's there is an interesting merging of of branding and creativity. Um, and branding funding that creativity, which is which has been a big dig out, and like that's something really noticeable. You know, like we're definitely leaning more towards um, do you know collaborations with brands, but it has to be that way. And at least brands are being smart about it. The arts aren't being funded any other way. And people mm. are finding it really hard. That is really interesting now that um, artists have to turn to brands rather than government bodies or people like that for funding. Well, luckily, there's decent brands that actually allow yeah. you, you know, you don't have to be compromised in any way or creatively. And that's have... another really good point because then you've got brands that are like, oh, Irish hip hop is a really great thing. I'm going to jump on that and pigeonhole myself yeah. in there. But it doesn't work. It's very obvious that you're not the right fit or you're trying to change someone creatively. But what you really want to find is a brand that you can work with that will just fund the money, work with you, 
let you retain integrity Absolutely. with your Absolutely, and like, it looked so awesome. It felt amazing to be in that sound lounge area. Mm. It felt really free. And it was a natural fit. Yeah, for and it was and supportive and the people were involved were, like... It was smart and it was done smartly, mm. you know, and um, I don't think anyone felt remotely compromised creatively yeah. in any way whatsoever. It's proof that th that this does work and it's a new thing that needs to work. But also I think things that we spoke about in the last episode, like Give Me the Night and um, I think I think young people do feel like they have the right or the voice to speak out. And I think that's also really a really good cog that's turning that might drive us forward a little bit just to be like can we just live somewhere where we can afford to and not have to take on extra jobs or like not there's anything wrong with that I do that but, you yeah. know um so it's almost like while it's fantastic that you know we have brands like Hennessy that can come on and fund things like this it almost shouldn't have to be the case but it is it shouldn't have to be the case but it's just the way things are gone and it's and it's it's working well. Well, Sally, thank you so much for joining me for the last two weeks on the podcast. It's been fascinating to talk to you. Oh, it's really great to talk to you as well. And here's I, I some had of a really clips. nice time doing this part as well. Yeah, here's some of the clips from Jane on side as well. The interviews have been really interesting. So thanks a million for joining us. Thanks a million. Not at all. So that has been episode four of Hennessy's A New Era. I've been Hannah. This has been the wonderful DJ Sally Cinnamon. And hopefully we'll be back with more episodes very soon. Bye. This is a new era brought to you by Hennessy.